As you see, we're in the book of Romans, but we're not. We're actually going to be in the book of Habakkuk today. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Habakkuk. If you don't know where the book of Habakkuk is, that's okay. Um, if you go to the Gospel of Matthew and just flip maybe 15 or 20 pages backwards, you'll, you'll hit Habakkuk. And it's only three chapters. It's a very small book. Um, and there's a reason why we're in Habakkuk today. It's not like we just decided to, to be in Habakkuk. Uh, but before we get there, I, I came across an, an interesting uh, statistic that really came as a surprise to me. And it may come as a surprise to you. So the country of Nigeria is the seventh largest country in the world. But the next statistic is kind of what shook me a little bit. Nigeria is actually the sixth largest Christian country in the world. Where 48% of their population claims to be Christian. 48%. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Like one out of two, pretty much. But what's baffling, what's baffling for me is that it is actually considered to be one of the most heavy persecuted countries for Christians in all the world. In 2002, almost 20 years ago, a terrorist group by the name of Boko Haram became a, a threat in Nigeria. They, they established a headquarters in Nigeria and the heart of the Boko Haram is to eradicate anything that is westernized. And anything that's westernized means anything from America or Europe, like anything westernized. That means government, education, religion, anything that appears to be westernized, they want gone. And for the Boko Haram, it's almost an insult as they're in Nigeria to see Christianity to be 50% as they think Christianity is a Western religion. So they want to see this religion eradicated. And by the efforts of the Boko Haram, it has became Nigeria, one of the most heavily persecuted countries. Just a few stats about the Boko Haram since the start of 2021. There's been over 3,400 Christians killed by the hands of this group. That's, that's about 17 Christians a day will lose their faith for Christ today in Nigeria. Over 300 churches have been either closed down, threatened, burned by the hands of the Boko Haram. And actually just a couple months ago, one of the largest kidnappings from a school happened in Nigeria. There's a high school called Bethel Baptist High School where the Boko Haram infiltrated this high school, kidnapped over a hundred students because this was a Christian school. When they kidnapped a hundred students, they released about 27 right away. And it wasn't until this past week that the Boko Haram released 58 more students. When the doctors received these students, they noticed a couple things. One, they noticed how physically ill and sick they were. But almost just as heartbreaking, they saw how emotionally broken these students were. As I hear about what's happening in Nigeria, I really just find myself on this emotional roller coaster. 
On one end, I, I just find myself just angry, heartbroken, confused. I'm like, we got these faithful brothers and sisters who are losing their lives for the sake of the gospel. Like, I, I'm just broken. But then on the other end, I find myself like to look at the Christians in Nigeria. I mean, if you're going to call yourself a Christian in Nigeria, you're marking yourself. And to see their resilience, their perseverance, they're willing to push in in spite of persecution, it's quite inspiring. And I'm wondering, is my faith like that? With that level of perseverance? It's actually quite puzzling. Because as we hear stories like this happening all around the world, the question that keeps coming to my mind is how can you continue have faith in times with so much turmoil? And I think that's the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning. When you are in a time of turmoil, in a time of distress, are you still able to hold on to your faith? Seems as if Nigeria has attained some kind of secret to hold on to their faith, but it's actually no secret at all. We'll actually we'll see in our passage the call to hold on to our faith, and we can kind of see that it's the call that we should be living despite our circumstances. But before we move on, I think we should just pause briefly and let's just say a word of prayer for Nigeria and our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we've seen throughout this year of 2021, there's been a, a lot. But there's been a lot happening in Nigeria. Uh, Father, we just pray for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. We pray that as they gather together in worshiping you, as they open up your word today, Father, that, that they don't do so out of fear of man, but out of a fear of who you are, God. Father, we, we pray that you, you protect them by the hands of this group that wants to just bring them down. And Father, give them a peace, a peace in this trial, in this season of their life, that it is so much better to follow you than to follow the world. Father, in your son's name, amen. The main point that we will look at today is this. In days of trouble, we are to walk by faith, not by sight. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. So if you have your Bibles open to the book of Habakkuk, I am I will ask and invite you, will you be willing to stand with me this morning to read God's word? And we stand when we read God's word because we want to stand out of reverence and respect for him and his word. And we want to hear from the Lord this morning. So Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. Let's read the word of the Lord. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But 
the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor. An arrogant man is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Shehol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Church, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people say, praise be to God. You may be seated. So we're in the book of Romans because we want to answer the question, what is God like? And actually next week, we're going to look at a passage in Romans that will, where Paul will reference what we just read here in Habakkuk. So it actually would be really helpful for us to just pause in the book of Romans so that we can see where is Paul getting at? What is Paul talking about when we see Paul talk about this idea that the righteous shall live by faith in Romans? Really the hope of being in the book of Habakkuk is to see that God has been the same God. That God has had this same plan since the beginning of time and it's always been about faith. It's always been about faith in Him. This is not a New Testament concept, but this is an Old Testament. This is a New Testament. This is an entire Bible concept about faith in God. But before we really get into the meat and potatoes of the passage that we just read, it's going to be really helpful for us to just take a step back and get this 50,000 view of the book of Habakkuk and just see why is Habakkuk in this moment? Why is God speaking to Habakkuk in this way? So let's, let's do that. Let's, let's get a big overview of Habakkuk in our first point. The coming judgment of the wicked. The coming judgment of the wicked. So, so Habakkuk, he's a prophet. And actually Habakkuk is a little bit different than other prophets in the Bible. Uh, typically this is the flow of a prophet in the Bible. God will speak to a prophet and then that prophet will speak on behalf to God, uh, to, to the people. And typically it's some kind of warning. Like there's some kind of disobedience and God's like, hey, you might want to tell my people to, you know, shape up. Because if not, this is going to happen. But in the book of Habakkuk, it's a little bit different because Habakkuk actually never talks to God's people. He's in the southern kingdom of Israel. He's in Judah. And he's not going to talk to anybody. And actually, we just have three chapters. It's just a conversation between God and Habakkuk. Where now, thousands and thousands of years later, we're invited in to this conversation between God and Habakkuk. And now where we can see, all right, now what must we learn as we continue to move forward in our lives? So Habakkuk, we'll see actually two complaints. And really at the heart of Habakkuk, we see in chapter 1, verse (laughs) 2, Habakkuk just says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. In verse 3, he says, destruction and violence are before me. So Habakkuk starts off his conversation with God in just a state of utterly brokenness. I mean, he, he says, God, how long do I have to cry for help? 
And I, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those seasons in your life where literally all you can do is cry. And it seems like the only words you have are the very tears that come down your face. I mean, Habakkuk is broken right now. And sometimes when we, when we just have no words to say and we wonder like, God, can God hear my tears? <laughs> yes, this is where Habakkuk's at. And so often that's where we're at. So why is Habakkuk broken? In verse four, in chapter one, he says, for the wicked surrounds the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is broken because God's people, his people, his family, his friends are living unrighteously. They're living wickedly. They're not following God. They're following their own selves. It, like it says the wicked is surrounding the righteous. Like God, your people, they, they're gone. What are you going to do about it, God? Well, God will respond. And a little foreshadowing or warning, Habakkuk is not going to like what God has to say. In verse 6, God will respond to this complaint of Habakkuk and the wickedness in Judah. He says, behold, now this is God, behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, which is another word for the Babylonians or the Babylons, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. So really, like when we look at the book of Habakkuk, we see this common theme. And I think we all wrestle with this question is, if God is so good, then why is there so much evil in the world? Because Habakkuk, he sees his own people and he says, man, there's just so much evil in the world. And then God's like, yeah, I'm going to do something about it. I'm sending the Babylonians to you and they're going to devour you. Well, I mean, we can only assume why Habakkuk didn't like that response because that means there's destruction, there's destruction on the horizon so Habakkuk says you know what I'm going to talk to God again about this he responds to God in verse 13 he says you who have pure eyes to see evil and cannot look at wrong why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he do you see what Habakkuk's doing there He's like, all right, God, like, I get it. Like, we're bad. Judah, we're wicked. I get it, God. But Babylon? I mean, they're worse. How are you going to use a nation more wicked than us to bring your justice? Why are you using a nation like Babylon, God? I mean, Babylon, and and he like, in chapter two, I mean, Habakkuk just lays it out there. Like we won't have time to get into it, but he just lays it out there who this nation is. I mean, you see, they have a ruthless army. They only care about themselves. They kill their neighbors for their own gain. It doesn't matter what land they have. They want it and they'll do anything for it. Like this is a ruthless and wicked nation. And then Habakkuk's like, God, that makes no sense. And it goes back to his original issue. Like, God, if you're such a good and holy God, why is there so much wickedness, so much evil? 
How can you, a holy, righteous God, use such a wicked nation like Babylon for your good? So we get to chapter 2. We get to our passage. And God will respond. And before we get into that, it will be helpful for us to pause there and just pull back. And see like, all right, so why are we in Habakkuk again? When we go to Romans chapter 1, we'll be there in the next couple weeks. We'll be in Romans chapter 1 for a couple more weeks. And what we see in Romans 1 in 18 to 32, Paul's outlining the heart of the one who is unrighteous. He outlines the heart of the one who lives for themselves. And you kind of see this very similar parallel. Like you have the righteous person who lives by faith, then this person is going to be surrounded by a bunch of people who could care less. And we see this very similar parallel where Habakkuk is this righteous guy who's living by faith, but he's surrounded by the wickedness of Judah and soon to be the wickedness of Babylon. So this parallel between Romans and Habakkuk is very similar. So God, in his response to Habakkuk, he's actually going to give us um, two different groups of people. In in God's response, we'll see the person who is righteous and the person who is unrighteous. The person with a faithful heart and the person with an unfaithful heart. So let's look at what God has to say about the unfaithful heart. He actually gives us three signs to show that if we have an unfaithful heart. In Habakkuk 2, verses 4 through 5, if you look at that with me, it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Then jumping to verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is wide as Shahol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all people. So the first sign that we see that you have an an unfaithful heart is first, an unfaithful heart is a prideful heart. Right there in verse four, it says, behold, his soul is puffed up. A prideful heart is a heart that is self-seeking, A prideful heart is self-glorifying. And and what you see here in Habakkuk is that you have Judah and you have the Babylonians. I mean, they're they're using other people as pawns for their greatness. They're twisting the law so that they don't have to obey that. Or the Babylonians, they're murdering a neighbor so that they can have more land. They're using other people as pawns to advance their own small kingdom. And if we're not careful, we can use people as pawns. We can use people as pawns to advance our own many kingdoms, right? We try to elevate our accomplishments so that we can look a little better against the other person. We we try to talk behind people's back to show that you know something that others don't. Pride is a dangerous. It sneaks and it creeps and it destroys. So be careful about the pride in your heart, church, and the pride in my heart. 
second sign of an unfaithful heart that we see there in our passage is an unfaithful heart is a pleasure-seeking heart. It says wine as a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. Right here, God is using this idea of wine that, that this person just wants to seek the pleasures of the wine to chase something, to chase the pleasures of the world. Because what he's saying is that that one glass will turn to two, then three, then four. And right there, it just says like, it's just never enough. It's never at rest. When we begin to chase the pleasures of the world, you will never have rest. It doesn't have to be wine. It can be the lust of pornography. It could be the desire of more money. It could be the American dream. Like you can chase these pleasures and you're wondering like, why am I so exhausted? It's because it's the wrong pleasure that you should be chasing. It's the pleasures of the world and not the pleasures of God. So an unfaithful heart will seek the pleasures of the world. And then the last thing that we see about the unfaithful heart is that the unfaithful heart is a greedy heart. His greed is wide, a shahol like death. He has never enough. I mean, that image of just death never having enough is just one of the most, just, it stabbed me when I read that. I mean, if there's one thing in this creation that is unrelenting, I mean, it moves You can't stop it. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter what kind of job you are, like had, like it doesn't matter how beautiful you are. Like death will come to you. And death is never satisfied. It continues and continues and continues. And just like greed, we are like death. If we're always greedy, like like if, if we decide to work overtime, and neglect our family so that we can have enough money to buy desires of our own heart. Ah, be careful. If we desire the things of the world where we put ourselves in situations where we're not willing to help our neighbors because we know that neighbor won't help us back, that's a greedy heart. And that's not a heart of a faithful one. God sees the unrighteous heart and that unrighteous heart will not go unnoticed. And that's Habakkuk's heart here, right? Like he sees the unrighteousness of of Judah and Babylon. He's like, God, do you see this? Will this always go unnoticed? And then God's like, absolutely not. This will not last. This heart will soon come to an end that the wrath of God will truly be on the one who has no faith. But thankfully in our book in Habakkuk, it just doesn't end there. And just a big pile of just like, oh. But God is gonna show us a great hope that we all can have in our second point, the promised hope of the faithful. The promised hope of the faithful. As I think about Nigeria and right now the struggles with Boko Haram, hear me out. Like I'm not saying Nigeria is going through this season 
because of a sin or a specific sin issue. Sometimes we go through consequences in life because we've sinned. But sometimes we're just in suffering just because we live in a sinful world. There's a difference. There's a consequence for being in a sinful world and there's a consequence because of your sin. But I think the heart of regardless of whatever season we're in because of a sin or just because of the sinful world that we're in is when you're in that season of suffering, what do we do? Do we just wallow? Do we just grab a bottle? (laughs) Do we just go to Amazon? (laughs) No. We push in and we fight. We fight for our faith. And that's what we'll see God kind of tell Habakkuk. And that's what Habakkuk's example is going to be. But before God makes this earth-shattering statement, in verse four, like God is going to set up in verses two and three. There's a few layers that we got to see about this vision that is going to happen. Verses two and three of chapter two, look at that with me. It says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. He hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It'll surely come. It'll not delay. So a few layers that we see here about this statement, this vision, this execution that God's about to make is first, it's a plain statement, right? He tells Habakkuk to to make this plain on a tablet. And right, so he's like, when you're walking by, when you see whatever's about to be on this tablet, it's plain, it's simple, it's to the point. There's nothing complicated about it. You don't need a degree. You don't need head knowledge. You just need to be able to look and see what it says. And even it's like, even if you're running by it, you should be able to look at it and see what it says. All right, so whatever God's about to say, this is plain, it's simple. There's nothing complicated about it. The second layer that we see is that there has an appointed time that this will happen, right? It says, for the still, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. You know, essentially what he's telling Habakkuk, he's like, like Habakkuk, I know you're going through a lot right now. Like I know everywhere you look, there's brokenness and wickedness. But judgment's coming. Something amazing is going to happen. You just gotta wait for it. And it's going to seem slow, but wait for it. But that idea of waiting is just so difficult, right? Like I found myself now, church, I'm ashamed to even say it. Like I'm in a habit now where like I'm a huge Taco Bell guy and I will order Taco Bell on a to-go app so I don't have to wait in line. Like that's how much I don't wanna wait. (laughs) Like I I don't wanna wait at red lights, right? It's hard for me to wait for important dates, right? Like. Like the idea of waiting for us here in America is just non-existent. (laughs) Patience, right? God told Habakkuk, you have to be patient. It's coming. For Habakkuk, that was Christ. Like you won't have to wait for Christ. Now Habakkuk didn't know that, that there will be a savior, there will be a Messiah coming. 
But now for us, we still are waiting, right? Now we know who Christ is, but we are all now waiting for his glorious return. So till that glorious day, till the final judgment is completed and and Christ comes victoriously back, wait, faithfully and patiently wait. And the third layer that we see is that whatever God's about to do and say, which we've already kind of alluded to, is that it's the truth, right? Right there, it says, it will not lie. We're in the book of Romans because we're trying to answer the question, what is God like? One of the most beautiful characteristics about God is that he is a God of truth. There's no confusion with God. There's no second guessing with God. When God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. He's a truthful God. We don't have to ever second guess him. And what that means for Habakkuk, he's like, all right, God, it kind of goes hand in hand with waiting. Since you are a God of truth, I can wait. I will wait for you, Lord. And then we get to this earth shattering statement. Chapter two, verse four, right? Like it says, behold, his soul is puffed up. Talking about the prideful heart. And then just nonchalantly almost, just God sneaks it in there. But the righteous shall live by his faith. I mean, that's massive church. Those eight words cause a revolution. It is those eight words that the righteous shall live by his faith that sparked that no longer should we be a people who live by rules and works, but be a people who live by faith. So many people think God is just a God of just following rules. Check box, check the box, check the box. And if we live our entire Christian life thinking that God is just about us checking boxes, we have completely missed the true God. Growing up, I was a massive rule follower. Like I was not edgy at all. And growing up, I was on the school bus pretty much my entire childhood. And I was like a really good kid. Like I hate breaking rules. And one, one day I broke a rule on the bus. I brought out a game on the bus. You weren't supposed to bring games. It was like a Game Boy. You weren't supposed to do that. But I did. I broke a rule. I've been on the bus for like four years at this time. And I was like the perfect kid almost, right? Like I just stayed in my seat. I did my homework. As I was leaving the bus after breaking the rule, I had a, a touch on my arm. And the bus driver said, come here. She looked at me in the eyes and said, you broke the rules and you need to be punished. I'm writing you up. I mean, the guilt and shame I felt as a kid for breaking one rule after following the rules for how many years? It just took me breaking it one time. And I was the worst person in the world, right? Like I felt so much shame. I mean, I cried. I went to my mom. Like, I can't go on the bus anymore. She hates me. Like, I mean, I was just distraught. And if we're not careful, we live our lives with this standard that we're going to have to follow all these rules. But then we fail one time. And the guilt and the shame of just not being able to hold up to the standards overwhelms us. I mean, we can think about a couple religions just here in our valley. Uh, Mormonism. 
to, to, to go to, to have salvation as a Mormon, you have to work. There's so many things you have to check the boxes to do. And, and we have a, a brother here in this room who the Lord saved and redeemed from that life. I encourage you to talk to him, John. Jehovah Witness. They believe only 144,000 people can obtain heaven. That means you have to beat your neighbor, your wife, your children. You have to work harder, faster, better. You have to follow all these rules if you won't even think about you obtaining heaven. The pressure and the weight of rules, church, can destroy us. And that's what sin does. But God does something so radical. He says, no, it's not about the rules. It's not about checking the boxes. It's about living by faith. It's about believing in me. It's never about what you can do, but it's all about what I have done for you. That's the heart of the gospel. So how does Habakkuk respond to this statement? Well, in chapter 3, we see two things. And I think this is helpful for all of us to think, how can we continue to cultivate a faithful heart in the midst of turmoil? We see him do two things. One, Habakkuk goes to the Lord in prayer. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the Shiganath. Now, the Shiganath, I don't want you to think about that too long. There's only one other time in the Bible that word is mentioned. And it's kind of like a genre of, of a song. So just want to clear that as you're thinking, you're probably, well, on earth is a Shiganath. But the important piece to this is the posture of Habakkuk. He was in a posture of prayer to the Lord. So if we want to fight for faith, church, we need to go to the Lord in prayer and trust that God is faithful in those prayers. And then secondly, what he does is really interesting is that he remembers God's word. He remembers God's word and what God has done. In chapter three in verse five, Habakkuk refers to pestilence and plagues. Now, when you think of pestilence and plagues, where does your mind ping to in the Bible? It should ping to the Exodus story, right? The, the 10 plagues. And then in verses eight through 15, like I'm just gonna p- paraphrase and pick some of these things out. But you see, like, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? You split the earth with rivers, raging water swept on, right? Like you see a lot of this language of the Lord parting the waters. Again, it goes back to the Exodus story. So it still doesn't answer the question though, how is Habakkuk remembering the Exodus story spurring him to continue to cultivate a heart of faith towards God? When we go to the book of Exodus, we see God's people, they've been in slavery for 400 years. And God was ready to free his people, but there's an issue. There's a guy named Pharaoh who was not ready to give up thousands and thousands and thousands of free labor. So what God did is send a series of plagues to open the eyes of Pharaoh saying, Pharaoh, you better wake up. You better let my people go. And it took the 10th and final plague for Pharaoh to realize like, okay, I better stop messing with this God. And the 10th and final plague, it was a plague where the firstborn will be put to death. That the firstborn will die. 
And the only way to protect yourself from this plague was to take a spotless and blameless lamb, sacrifice this lamb, and put the blood over the doorpost, the top and the side. And what happened is that night when the death angel passed through Egypt, if it saw the blood of the lamb, it said, that satisfied God. will not enter into that home. But every home that did not have the blood of the lamb, the firstborn will be put to death. And it was at that moment, Pharaoh's like, all right, go, go. So Moses took God's people and they began to walk And it didn't take long to Pharaoh to start regretting that he just gave up all this labor. So he starts to chase after him. So, you know, you got God's people, they're they're just walking along. And then behind them, they got Pharaoh's armies with chariots and horses just chasing them. And then now we get to this amazing scene where God's people, right in front of them is a body of the water, the Red Sea. And behind them is Pharaoh's armies. Do we go back to slavery or do we just push forward through water? And as Habakkuk remembers here in chapter three, God took like an arrow and pierced the waters as it divided, showing us his power. Remembering the Exodus story, Habakkuk is reminded that one, God will one day defeat evil again. He defeated the Pharaohs and he will defeat the Babylons. And remember the Exodus story, he remembers that God is powerful enough to break the chains of slavery. Over 400 years, these people were in chains of slavery, but yet God broke those chains. And he remembers that God has power enough to even have authority over nature itself, where even the immovable mountains must bow down at the hand of God. So what? What about us? How, how does Habakkuk, remembering the Exodus story, help us? Well, church, just like God's chosen people in the book of Exodus had the Exodus story, God is writing a new Exodus story right now. And that Exodus story, God is inviting all peoples to it. In Romans 6, 20, we'll get there eventually in our series, but it says, you were slaves to sin. Just like how Egypt was slaves to Pharaoh, we are slaves to sin. There's no escaping the reality of our depravity, of our sin, of our brokenness. We can't shake that off. We are held by the chains of sin. 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus came, the Son of God who will die upon the cross. And just how those in Exodus needed the perfect spotless lamb slain, the final perfect lamb was slain on the cross. So that for all those who paint their hearts, who puts their faith in Christ are now covered where God's wrath is satisfied, just as we saw in Exodus. And as God's people were face to face with the Red Sea. This is massive because right behind him, right behind God's people, their identity was that of a slave. And as they walked through that Red Sea and when that water came back to, 
No longer was their identity that of a slave, but their identity was now that of people of God. And as we put our faith in Christ, as we sit in that tub of those baptismal waters, we are marking to the world that we are an old person. And as we are dunked, we are going to be raised to life with a new identity, with a new name, and that is the child of God. That baptism waters have no salvation. There's no salvific, no tool that happens in those waters. But what that does is it marks you. Because when you come up out of that water, you are declaring to this church and the churches around this world. And you're, compl- you're proclaiming to all peoples that you are marked by the blood of Christ. And that your identity is that a child of God. That Exodus story is what we can use to sustain our faith as we patiently wait for Christ. Knowing that this story of God saving people is not some new story, but it's always been the story. It's always been the story about God doing a mighty work for his people. It's never been a story about you doing a mighty work for yourself. And that's why the statement that the righteous shall live by his faith is so earth shattering. The book of Habakkuk will end extremely different than the way it started. It started with a lament. It started with brokenness. But let's end by looking at the end of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Now, granted, like, think about this journey Habakkuk has been on. These complaints, this conversation with God. And now, in the midst of all this, this is how Habakkuk responds. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He make me tread all my high places. As we see the way Habakkuk is going to endure, the way that Habakkuk is going to continue to push into his faith is because of the joy of the Lord, is because of the strength of the Lord, because he realizes the salvation is because of the Lord. His entire posture for him to persevere is realizing who God is and what he is like. As we end, I like to think of this as a courtroom image. In the book of Habakkuk, we see two groups of people, right? We saw the unrighteous, we saw the unfaithful, and we saw the faithful. And as we stand before God as the judge, we're going to have to answer the question. And God, well, do we deserve life or do we deserve death? And God will say, plead your case. As you stand before God, will you say, God, look at all I did for you. I followed the rules, God. I read my Bible every day. I prayed every day. I gave every Sunday. I fed the homeless. I took in the widow. You saw all that good I did, God? And then Jesus will come and just say, depart from me. I never knew you. Or will your case be before this holy and righteous God be, God, I don't deserve life. I deserve death. But because of your son, 
because of the blood of the perfect lamb, I can have life, that your wrath has been satisfied. So church, the question that we're all going to have to answer is this. Are we going to be people who live by faith or by sight? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, just, to, just to be able to go into Habakkuk and be invited in the conversation between Habakkuk and you, Father, is just an absolute grace first off. And for us to see and realize that you have always been a God about faith. You've always been a God about people putting their faith in you and trusting in you. You've never been about a God, about, the, about just us following the rules perfectly. Father, help us to see that this faith will just push us to faithfully obey who you are and, and, and just the things you called us to be. And Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's relying on their sight for their faith, Father, bring the Spirit upon them and convict them, show them that they, they can't rely on their works, but they have to rely on your works. And Father, for the rest of us, remind us of how good this is that you have already completed your work of saving your people. So Father, we just pray, be with us now as we take a moment to just reflect on your word. In your son's name, amen.